From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for September 4th, 2019. It is uh, the start, the eve of the start of the football season, and it is the start of another trip around the world for our guest, Danny Flecka, who decided to spend his birthday by podcasting with me. I am so honored. Happy birthday, sir. Thank you very much. Uh, the first question, and I'm going to go all 60 minutes on you. Why did you decide to celebrate your birthday with me? Oh, let's see. I mean, as you're getting older, your options, you know, tend to tend to go away. So you get you have to take what's there, you know. <laughs> there you go. All right, a lot has happened uh, since we last podcasted, which feels like a month ago, though it was probably like a week ago. Um, or a week and a half ago. Um, first of all, Zeke's contract, uh, which ties him down for many years, $90 million, $50 million guaranteed, beats Todd Gurley's $45 million guarantee, which was his big goal in these negotiations. As a Giants fan, I'm sure you're not happy because now you have to face Zeke on Sunday. Um, so from both with your giant fan hat on and then with and, and then with your your football hat on what's your thoughts on this deal yeah so i think it's the same regardless of whether i'm a fan of the giants or not i had a feeling that zeke was going to sign before the season started regardless of my fandom for the giants i took everything that jerry jones is saying with a grain of salt throughout the offseason that they don't need him that you don't need number one rusher to win the Super Bowl, etc. That team, though, was built to have Ezekiel Elliott run for 1,500 yards and for them to chew the clock, manipulate drives, and not rely on Dak Prescott slinging the ball 35 times a game. At the end of the day, Jerry Jones knew it, Ezekiel Elliott knew it, his agent knew it. And I think despite it being a drawn-out saga and you can go one way or the other you know on, on your thoughts on, on that I think Ezekiel Elliott knew exactly what he was doing and he made out like a bandit he knew that they need him to win he knew that team was built around him he knew that if he didn't report they wouldn't win he also knew that if he didn't get this contract now he was going to sit out next year so he played it completely, I think, the way you have to play it if you're a player like him going into this type of situation. And you can argue that, you know, he had two years under this contract, et cetera, et cetera. I think for the Cowboys, you had no choice here. You are in a very precarious situation with your roster set up as it is. They just handed out an extension to Collins. They just handed one out to Zeke. They have two more players that need contract extensions. And at the end of the day, they were always going to be able to sign two players. Now, this leaves up in the air, whether it's Dak or, or Cooper. I think that Cooper's the odd man out after this comes through. And what's interesting about the Jerry Jones thing is that he goes on CNBC. Now, why he was ringing the bell at the stock exchange this morning with his son, I don't know. But he goes... Um, I'm $100 million lighter as of this morning. 
Zeke has been arguably our best player. We're glad to have him booked in. We're glad to have him on the team. He plays a position that has some pretty interesting dynamics to it because running backs are short-lived. Although we had what I consider one of the top five greatest ones in Emmett Smith, and Emmett ran the ball for 13 years, so you don't have to have a four or five year career to be a running back. On the other hand, Zeke allows us to create such problems for the defense that he can open it up to our passing, open it up for Dak. Of course, we're going to have, uh, sorry, of course, we've got to have some guys on defense to get those guys the ball. That's what this is all about. So, of course, Jerry Jones changes his, his, uh, his uh, spiel, you know, five seconds after the deal's done. Yeah, and I think that when it came down to it, he knew that as soon as Labor Day hit, if Zeke wasn't signed, that the longer he waited to sign him, the worse it was going to be for not only for his reputation, but for his team. And if you're the Cowboys, if you're Jerry Jones, you know that your window is short. And I'm not saying that because of the team they have or anything, but your prime year to win a Super Bowl was Dak's rookie year and to now, before you're shelling out all this money to all these players. This is, this is their last chance, I think, to really win with that team constructed as the way it is. Because they're going to have some hard decisions come February and March when it comes down to what players they're going to they're gonna pay, which ones they might have to trade to find help elsewhere. And like I said, I really think Cooper is the odd man out here. And the wide receiver draft class for 2020, you know, not looking too far ahead, is, is pretty loaded. So they could find, you know, a cheaper alternative, I think, in 2020 by letting Cooper go, but, you know, depending on how the season plays out in college. But, you know, he, I, it always, to me, felt like Zeke was going to sign. He's going to sign before the season, and that Dak's going to be the other guy that's getting the contract, too. Um, okay, so now we move on to Amar, uh, to uh, Antonio Brown, who, and this got cut off when we had the, had the technical difficulties last time we podcasted, but Danny and I were basically saying that, that his camp was fed some bad information from the league about his helmet. So he had been held out, had all these problems because he was trying to find this helmet. Um, he announced... Uh, yesterday, sorry, he announced today uh, he was upset with the league for not allowing him to wear his his uh, the, the, the only helmet he wore because it was older than 10 years. He thought he should have been grandfathered in like Tom Brady was. Uh, but on Wednesday, Antonio Brown announced he'll wear the Zenith shadow helmet this season, believing it makes him fear, feel more agile and comfortable while allowing for better visibility. The problem is he got fined by Mike Mayock. Uh, $13,950 for missing a walkthrough on August 22nd and an excused absence. And Antonio posted this on social media by saying, when your own team want to hate, but there's no stopping me now, devil is a lie. Everybody got to pay this year so we clear. Can Antonio Brown just be quiet and play football? I think he's proven that it's not the case for him. It's unfortunate, but Nowadays, with the media outlets that these players have, they're going to do what they want to do when they feel like they're being disrespected. And it's either, you know, posting Instagrams, tweets that they end up deleting, going in front of the camera, whatever it might be. Um, I mean, Antonio Brown, for about two or three years now, has been kind of on the wrong end of his social media usage. So you think that someone would pull him aside and, like, let him know that, hey, maybe you shouldn't do this, maybe you shouldn't post this. 
you're, you're getting paid, but you're hurting your overall brand. You know, stop it. Um, it, it doesn't seem like there's anybody in this camp that's telling him that. Very, very weird. Yeah, that, that there are some players that feel like they are somehow the focal point. Like, like they need to constantly be out there for some reason. It, it's very odd. I, I'm, 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 not, I'm not sure if they may, if, if that makes any sense, but um, it, it just feels like there are some players that just feel like they need to make a headline every single day, and if they don't, they've failed somehow. Yeah, and I think, too, some of these players are always going to have that mindset of, you know, me against the world. Um, you know, I was drafted in the sixth round, seventh round, look where I am now. And, and, you know, more power to them. I just think that when it comes down to this type of stuff, you're getting paid by somebody. They're your employer at the end of the day. I understand that things might not always be as transparent to us fans as uh, we want it to be when it comes to what's happening in the NFL. But you still can't always make out your employer to be the bad guy. And the fact of the matter is that he did miss those practices. Whether it was by his own volition or not, he wasn't there. And the team has the right, based off their contract and the way the rules are, to, to find them. And they did. And if that's the case, so be it. Move on. Get ready for the season. you got things to do. He doesn't want to let it go. And, you know, that, that's his stance. And, you know, we'll, we'll see how it plays out for him this year. So then we get to Jared Goff, the Rams quarterback, who signed a four-year extension uh, that is worth a record $110 million guaranteed, uh, money 134 total. He is now tied with the team through the 2024 season. Your thoughts on that contract? I think it's another instance of the Rams going all in on what they have constituted right now as far as like their team is concerned. You know, they have maybe one I think Marcus Peter there Marcus Peter's there for this year to leave there for this year you have Robert Woods on a good contract they have Brandon Cook who they re-signed last year you have Cooper Cup on his rookie contract still they have a good offensive line Todd Gurley got extended last year they're taking advantage of what it is is you know that's their window right now and you know I was reading something pretty interesting the other day about like quarterback contracts and while it looks outrageous right now these contracts prove to be cheaper and cheaper as the years go on. And with the salary cap increasing next year again, you know, it doesn't make it necessarily that bad of a contract. You just have to hope that Jared Goff can perform the way he's performed the last couple of years for the next three or four years based off that contract. You know, for right now, he's the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. Salary crap is an interesting phrase. Yeah, well, the salary... The salary cap is crap because they manipulate it however they want it to, and it increases every single year. So I think sometimes these contracts get blown out of proportion. You know, with any contract, you want to make sure that the value is there for your team and that the money isn't going to necessarily prohibit you from doing the things you need to do to build your team. The Rams are in good shape, I think, right now. We'll see what happens with them, you know, as their roster moves on and how they draft and put pieces around Goff in the future to succeed, but, you know, right now they have that ability to hand out that contract, knowing that some people might be coming off the books, that the salary cap might be increasing next year, and that they have, you know, these players in development. So, for them, it's a good good piece of business, 
and because you know the next contract's going to be higher. So they they actually went out at the end. Talking to Danny Flecky here on teeing it up. All right, um, let's move to the college game. What uh, if anything stood out to you from week one or week zero? Because sometimes you can make a lot out of uh, out, out of uh, some games, and sometimes you can't. Yeah, so I mean, there's only one game with ranked opponents this weekend, and that was Auburn-Oregon. That was a pretty good game to watch. Uh, Auburn fought back, and Oregon, unfortunately, was unable to, to really get a statement win for the Pac-12, which I think will have another down year this year based off of what we we saw week one. You know, USC lost their starting quarterback. Oregon's already behind the eight ball. Um, Stanford looks to be as boring as ever. And I think the team to watch out for in the Pac-12 might be Washington. With that being said, um, you know, the SEC just flexes its muscle once again. And, you know, despite the Tennessee loss, uh, had a pretty good weekend. Um, but we'll see this week. This week we have some big-time matchups. You know, Big 12 versus the SEC with LSU and uh, Texas. And um, ACC versus the SEC with uh, Clemson and Texas A&M. So I think we'll get a little bit clearer picture of, you know, what teams are going to be contending this year. I know it's still early, but a, a loss for LSU or Texas really puts them behind because that, that means they're going to have to win those marquee matchups against, like, Oklahoma and Alabama, which are going to be tough to do. Um, for me, this is a very interesting game for Clemson because I think Clemson to me A&M is one of those teams that can trip you up it, it, sorry sorry one of those opponents where you get so hyped and and you kind of trip yourself up mentally and Trevor Lawrence and company went nuts just like Oklahoma and Jalen Hurts went nuts on Sunday night and I I, I just feel like this is a true bellwether in a season where one loss or two losses, especially early, and if it's to a non-conference opponent, could end your year. So this is almost, in a sense, a, a playoff-defining game unless Clemson just runs through the ACC like it's nobody's business and they're clearly one of the four best teams. That, to me, is what's fascinating about this game. And then you look at you know, the, the, the Texas game. I think Texas... Is trying to make a statement for the first time in many years that they're back and they're gonna they're for real and you should take them seriously. Yeah, and like with any loss, you want to make sure that that loss is to a good team. And you know both you know both those matches had potential to still have those teams being the top ten or top fifteen by the end of the year. I just think if you're A and M in Texas when you're trying to fight for that that outside spot looking in, you need to win these games and they're going to be playing tough opponents. I think Texas is at home, so they have the advantage there. They're five-point underdogs, you know, looking at the line right now. A&M is 17.5-point underdog going to Death Valley. I, I, I do think Clemson has this game, you know, as a win, but it's going to be closer than I think 17 points for sure. And I think LSU and Texas is going to be a knockout, drag-em-out fight. Um, Texas likes to play physical. Um, they like to establish the run with the quarterback. Um, and LSU has to has to prove that on offense that they can do what they did last week against a good team, and that's spread the ball around, get the ball out, 
pass the ball and not just rely on your run game and your defense. And that's really the big step for LSU this year, I think, is can they, for the first time in forever, have a passing game and utilize those five-star recruits they're getting on the outside. I mean, don't forget, there's a point in time where LSU was just churning out wide receivers, but they had no quarterback. So that just goes to, goes to show you that they recruit that position well. They just have never recruited the quarterback position well. Yeah, talking to Danny Flecky here on Teeing It Up. Uh, we never got to ask you this before um, the, the the season started. Were you a Clemson, Alabama, you know, part four or whatever it is, guys could come into this season as, as what we're going to see come January in the national championship game? I think that Alabama has a tougher road there than Clemson does. Alabama has to play Auburn, LSU, and then potentially Georgia. And those are going to be three tough games for them. You know, is it the year that Georgia gets off the schneid and, and, you know, beats them? Or, you know, is LSU going to be able to go to Alabama and beat them there? Um, can Auburn rise to the occasion against them at home? It's going to be a tough, tough season, I think, for Alabama, especially as we come into November where, where those games line up. I do think Clemson gets there. I don't see anybody tripping them up unless they, for some reason, excuse me, for some reason, just crap themselves. But I, I do think Alabama will have a tougher test of getting to the college playoff than Clemson will. Talking to Daniel Flecky here on teeing it up. Is there anything else um, from the college football side that you want to mention before we flip back to the NFL for a second? No, I think the college game always takes a little while to get going. You want to know, you know, where teams stand as they head into conference matchups. You know, we, it, it looks like, you know, this week, next week, and the following week, we'll have some good matchups to, to let us get there, you know. And another one to circle on your calendar in two weeks is Georgia, Notre Dame, another game that could potentially outline, you know, where the teams are going to be going for the season. So it's going to be interesting the next couple of weeks, and then as we head into October, you know, we'll obviously have the conference matchups to determine, you know, where teams are going. But I think there's still a lot on the line this month, and we'll see where we are on Monday after the slated games this weekend and where we'll be the following weekend with, you know, those slated games. But big games for a lot of teams that want to be in that playoff, and we'll see where they get. Um. Now, we turn to the NFL. We start tomorrow with Packers-Bears. I played golf with a Packers fan on Sunday. And he said, what's your thoughts on the Packers? And I said, my same thought every year. Do they have a defense, or is Aaron Rodgers going to have to throw for 500 yards a game and, and, and put up 34 points, and that be your only chance at a victory? As you look towards this NFL season... Uh, first of all, what's your thoughts on Thursday? And is there anything from a gambling or a fantasy perspective, since since we won't cover that on Sunday, that you would do? Yeah, I think this is a tough matchup for both teams, just in the sense that they know each other so well. Um, and they're usually hard-fought games. I think if you're Chicago, you're looking to see two things. You know, is Trubisky going to be able to take that next step and, and really get this offense humming the way we saw Mahomes run it in Kansas City? You know, He's not the same player, but that offensive system is based around the same concepts. Can he, you know, take that extra 10%, 20% leap forward to really make that offense something that can uh, win games for them? Because the defense should naturally see regression, and that brings me to my second topic on them. Can, they, can their defense 
duplicate what they did last year. And all signs in history point that that's really hard to do. So if you're Chicago, you're hoping that if your defense regresses a little bit, that you your offense makes up for that regression. Uh, on the other side of the ball with Green Bay, you mentioned their defense. They've loaded up on their defense. Can their defense even meet you know, that offense halfway in some way, shape, or form? Um, that's going to be the big question for them. And then on offense, you know, who is Aaron Rodgers going to throw the ball to besides Devontae Adams? And what does this new-look offense look like? So I think for the Packers, they're in a tougher situation here. I think it takes them a couple weeks to really get going. And I, I do think the Bears have a, have a you know, the, the edge in this game being at home. Um, they're the first game of the season, and you know, just the home field advantage will play into it. So I do think the Bears win this game somewhere around the lines of, you know, 27 to, to 21. Um, talking to Danny Flecky here on Teeing It Up. Now... Let's just broaden out for a second. As you've gone through your fantasy drafts, as you've gone through your fantasy looks just in general, um, who? Uh, how does Zeke being signed impact? I mean, were, were people, from what you've heard and, and, and from your experiences, people picking Zeke, assuming he would be ready week one? Because it's this weird thing where a guy's available, yet he's not available, and now he's here, and it, and it could impact somebody, yet you're one injury away, one play away, from Zeke being um, a non-factor again, unfortunately. That's just what the, the way the game is, and how fantasy players have to play it when it comes down to how they draft. So how did you kind of look at the Zeke factor, running backs in general, Dallas's situation in general, and then any other little fantasy nuggets that you picked up over the course of the summer? Yeah, I think yeah, a lot of times when you're looking at this situation, you're hoping that we don't have a repeat of last year with Le'Veon Bell. I didn't think Zeke was going to be anywhere near that. Um, if anybody's replicating that this year, it's Melvin Gordon. But Zeke went in the top five in all the drafts I did. Nothing really changed there. Uh, he went where he was supposed to go. You know, behind the likes of like Barkley, McCaffrey, and um, you know Kamara, those are the top three guys usually off the board. So, if anything, maybe he took a couple of spots in some drafts, but I, I think he was taken in the first round in a lot of drafts this year. Uh, so, he he is where he is, and you know he's a fire up number one running back in fantasy. So you gotta you gotta take him there. And I think a lot of the things that I saw this year that I don't think were too outrageous that we probably already knew. Uh, about was, you know, the tight ends, the top three tight ends were, were taken super early in uh, Kittle, Ertz, and Kelsey, and quarterbacks lasted a long time. So depending on how your draft strategy was, you know, you were able to possibly get a good quarterback in the late round, uh, depending on what, you know, what was available to you. But I think that one of the things to, to notice this year is that I think we're going to see a clear separation between the top end running backs and the lower end running backs. And I, I don't think that the NFL has gone in a way that allows for runners to be as valuable in fantasy anymore as they used to be. Um, you could be able to get like, you know, two or three running backs and be pretty set at that position right now. I think that if you take a running back, you know, if they're not the top five players, you're really you know, reaching for, for, for somebody. And that's tough in, in fantasy where you're starting two running backs and possibly another flex spot. So 
I think we see a clear separation this year between the top running back um, and you know that those mid-level guys. And I think the receiver position will just keep getting deeper and deeper considering what teams are, are doing nowadays. What's your thoughts on Kyler Murray? We're going to talk about him specifically in relation to, to his opponent on Sunday. But what in general is your thoughts on Kyler Murray? Because for me, he had the problems with the snap in preseason. Um, he's trying to make an adjustment here in the NFL. He's obviously short, which everybody knows. There's this big unknown surrounding him and the Cardinals and this offense with Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, what's your feeling on, on who Kyler Murray is? I think the best-case scenario is that he has a season like Russell Wilson did his rookie year, and worst-case scenario is that he gets hurt. Um I do think that Kingsbury will do all that he can to manipulate the game to allow him to be successful. You know, with any rookie quarterback, you have to hope they don't put themselves in harm's way or try to do too much. Uh, so I think, obviously, with those run-pass options, if he is taking those opportunities to get outside the pocket and run, that he's either throwing the ball away not you know, or, or sliding. So I think that's the big thing for him. Um, I, I do expect him to have a good year. I, I can see him getting 3,500 passing yards and 700 rushing yards and somewhere around 25 to 30 total TDs, which would be a great accomplishment for him um, considering you know, the new coach, that roster down there, and, and what they're trying to do. But like I said, you know, he's got to make sure that if he is getting outside the pocket that he sacrifices himself or throws the ball away so he's not taking those unnecessary hits. I mean, unnecessary hits are something rookie quarterbacks do well. What was your thoughts on Le'Veon Bell? You know, he sat out a year. People have asked me my thoughts about the Jets, and, and my recurring theme is I'm cautiously optimistic, but I really want to see how he looks after a year off before I start celebrating the, the promise, quote-unquote, of this Jets offense. I don't know what that noise was. Somebody's calling Yeah, I think lot. Bell will be fine, to be honest. I, I don't think that you can treat this any other way that, you know, he's completely healthy. He is got one less year of wear and tear on his body. He might take some time to adjust to a new system and a new, new surroundings and new coaches and, and players, etc. But I don't see how he can necessarily lose a lot of what he has done in the past. It is something to keep in mind that he is not playing on the same type of team. He doesn't have Antonio Brown. He doesn't have Ben Roethlisberger. So that's going to be, I think, the key difference. You have to hope that Sam Darnold and the rest of the wide receivers on the Jets can help give him the space that he was able to get, you know, in the passing game uh, with Pittsburgh. But I don't know if if we're going to see a drop in, like, his production. You know, it might be a little bit less. You know, overall, but I don't think that it's going to be anything that's going to scream out like this is because he took out a year. I think if anything, it's just going to be him getting used to what he he has to do with the new team. Talking to, talking to Danny Flecky here on Teeing It Up. I apologize. I don't know what that sound was. It was someone's car alarm. So, so I don't know, I'm not sure what came over the air, but that was some weird or somebody honked a horn. Somebody did something that was very odd outside. Um, Let's let's move to baseball here for a second. Um, anything stick out on that besides the fact that the Mets blew it in in a an, an embarrassing 
lead last night in the ninth yeah. inning. Anything stand out to you? No, we're getting... Hello? ...down to the 25 days left. Let's see what happens. I think, you know, for us, us as Yankee fans, we want to see Stanton back. We want to see the team get healthy and, and go out there. Um, as baseball fans, you're, you're seeing that the wild card is, is coming down to down to it. So what teams here close up those spots? which teams choke them away. So we still have, a, what, five or six teams for the NL wild card and four teams for the AL wild card. So we'll see what happens. I think that there's still a lot of important series left. You know, Tampa Bay probably still will play the Red Sox a couple times. The Nationals have a couple big series coming up with the Phillies, I'm sure, and the Mets. And then the Cubs and the Brewers and Cardinals are going to be fighting it out there as well. So it's still a lot of important games on the on the on the calendar for a lot of these teams. Yeah, um, certainly is, and it's certainly uh, going to be an interesting end, considering, especially for Tampa. If Tampa, think about Tampa making the playoffs the same year that that, that, that they float, let's try that again, um, that they float um, moving and playing half their season in Montreal. And what that'll look like, just like we wondered what it would look like in the World Series several years back, and we saw it. That's just a weird franchise and a horrible building and a horrible spot of town, and you just don't know what the real support is. Yeah, and we'll see with them. I mean, to be honest, I kind of hope they don't make it just for that factor. You want teams that have good fan bases, you know, strong attendance, strong rosters to be in there. Um, but we'll see. I mean, they, they keep clawing their way to over 500 records and, and competing. So it's going to be interesting to see how the season unfolds here. Absolutely. Um, is there anything else on any topic that you would like to uh, talk about? I think I'm good. Just excited for tomorrow night to get the football season started and see what happens. As always, it's an interesting uh, part of the year. It is a very interesting part of the year, and uh, the first NFL TV maps have been released, which means the season must be here shortly. It's always a good thing when those TV maps come out. Absolutely. you got to plan your day. Absolutely. And I hope you're ready to watch Buffalo Jets at 1 o'clock on Sunday, because that's what you're getting. Um, okay. I'm okay with that. <laughs> to watch Sam Darnold and Le'Veon Bell. Uh, Danny Flecka, thank you as always for coming on Teeing It Up and we will talk to you on Sunday. All right, later my man. And thank you for listening to this edition of Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling.